Hey everybody, this is Lou Rosenfeld. It's October of 2015, and welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review podcast series. I am with someone who I've got to know a bit recently, and, and it's been just an absolute blast because we're probably both from New York and tend to like to swear a lot. We're about the same age. And uh, besides those demographic issues, Maria GDC, I think we have other things in common too. Oh, what would that be? Well, um, you've got me really thinking a lot about leadership uh, in in ways that I haven't really before. Um, You know, it's funny. I mean, you'd think this would have occurred to me before, but you made it really crystal clear. And it's not surprising given that you've written the book Rise of the DEO, Design Executive Officer. Um, You got me thinking about leadership as a very different thing than management. And probably anyone who's been a a leader or manager probably has already figured this out. But I think a lot of us in the field are kind of moving as we, you know, get a little more gray and uh, long in the tooth toward more senior roles. And I've always just sort of glommed them together, leadership and management. Can you do one without doing the other? Uh, are they really distinct roles? And wh- who should be doing what? How do you know if you're on the, the trajectory in your career toward one versus the other? That's a good question. Well, actually, it's. I think that leadership actually could happen at any level. Uh, you could be an intern and be an, a leader. You can be a best friend and be a leader. You could be a manager and be a leader. You could be a CEO and be a leader. So leadership is much more about a state of mind uh, than it is. And, and, so, and, and I actually think an act of service more so than what a manager is. And, you know, I, I talk about the difference between being a mentor versus a manager. Now, management... Uh, techniques and strategies are needed in organizations, but I think that we over-rely on being a manager versus being more of a mentor or a leader. So there's a difference between being a manager and a leader, and that's what my book's all about. It's about, you know, having a mindset of being a leader, which is somebody who, whose job is to bring out the best in people. So if I'm just starting out, maybe I'm in my first year, in a, a design-related role, what can I do? How will your book help me become a better leader or to have leadership skills? Well, the first thing, obviously, is to buy my book, Lou. Uh, of course. <laughs> and it's by New Writers. came out in 2013, and you wrote it with Christopher Ireland. Yes. In the book, there's sort of many different sort of trajectories of what it means to be a leader. The book is actually divided into me, we, be, and do. And so the me part is about changing your mindset about what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a designer and what it means to be a creative leader. You know, all of us were born creative. It just gets beaten out of us around the fourth grade. Some of us seem to get past fourth grade and, and, and build creative careers, but many, many people stop using the creative muscle. And the cre- and creativity is one of those important traits that we're going to need in a very interconnected, global, complex world. 
uh, you need a combination of creativity, anthropology, and, uh, and, and analytics in making decisions now. So the me is really about setting yourself up for uh, the mindset of becoming a leader. We is about the fact that nothing could be done in isolation anymore, that being a leader is part of being a co-creator and a collaborator and moving people along a process. Do is, you know, getting it done. How do you execute? And B is, you know, becoming that, how to become a leader. So the book kind of gives you a, a bunch of different sort of techniques and traje trajectories, depending on where you are in your life, to exercise leadership traits. So give me an example of one of those exercises that uh, might help me, let's say, uh, rediscover the, the muscles that were uh, beaten out of me in fourth grade. <laughs> well, uh, uh, one of them is about promoting creative chaos. So if you really, if, you know, if you really want to exercise your creative muscles, you have to feel like it, you have to feel comfortable with amb ambiguity and chaos. And that can actually happen right in your environment where, you know, I, I, I always say put down the laptops and start bringing out the pens and papers and, and start writing on walls and, um, and talking as human beings, um, you know, kind of step away from the technology and start crafting ideas using um, your hands and and tools and that, you know, find ways in which that you can break out of that cycle of getting stuck from a creative standpoint. That's just one of them. Does that also help us to kind of move to the we state? Are we helping other people kind of discover similar uh, muscles that they that they may have atrophied? Yeah, it's a combination of we and do, right? So the idea is sort of to democratize what it means to be a designer. I, I often say designers have to kind of give up the word, owning the word design for themselves, that they are the designer. When we all know that good design is a shared activity and you get the best ideas out when you bring everybody into the creative process. So how do you do that? You, you introduce tools that people are familiar with, you get, you get people comfortable so they can toss out wild ideas, um, and you also have to lead people towards um, making decisions. So it's, it's about going wide and then narrowing and looking for patterns and then, and then um, agreeing to decisions that everybody participated in. So, you know, one of the, the books we published in the last few years, and it's been a real success, is Leah Buley's uh, The UX Team of One. And there are a lot of people out there who are sort of in that situation of uh, being the, the solo uh, design-related person in an organization. It could be a startup, it could be a larger organization, or it could be a, a, a silo or a big department uh, within uh, an organization. Now, how does that person who may often sort of fall into the, the mindset of, damn it, I'm just going to do it and get it done, and it's not going to be a group activity because uh, I don't have that luxury uh, of having other people to work with. How, how do you move them beyond that? Uh, sometimes it's a, it's a mindset of, I'm the designer and I know best. Yes. Uh, sometimes it's a mindset of, I, I really don't have a choice. I, I, they haven't given me any resources. Nobody will 
answer my email. How do you get them past that? Is there any silver bullet? Well, that is exactly the person that I'm speaking to, is that person in organizations who feel like their job is to basically create artifacts and then sell them through the company. And this is where you change that mindset about a designer um, creating what I call nouns, artifacts, that are often done in isolation um, where people actually don't understand the context to which uh, solutions have been made, to stepping up and moving people through a process where they have shared ownership in activities. That is the opportunity space for people who are designers, that they can, they can bring people into the process. And again, design is never done in isolation. We may think we're in isolation, but there are so many dependencies riding on uh, the execution of a project. Uh, it can be technology, it can be business goals, and the role of the designer is to move people through that um, except the fact that everyone is bringing something to the table and getting people to a solution that is truly human-centered, that meets business needs, and that's technically feasible. This is the opportunity for designers, and they have to step up. So in a way, um, the, the title of your book is it doesn't do justice to maybe the broader content, which is this is not just for people who are you know, at the very pinnacle of a large organization and, and are going to be an executive officer. This is really a, a leadership book for everyone. Got it. Right. And it's DEO because that is, it. the statement is, you know, everybody needs to aspire to be the leader in the organization. And, you know, it's, you're, you're seeing a lot of trends now in companies where they were rooted in Technology. I, I used to, I'll remind you of the days that we grew up, Lou, where we thought technology was magic. We thought, oh my God, the modem worked. Oh my God, the, the, um, the website oh, didn't. Oh, please, please don't take me back there. <laughs> the website, the website didn't crash, you know. So we were like of this uh, area, where uh, this age where technology was just magic. We were just so grateful when it worked to uh, uh, an age where, Technology is expected. Good technology is invisible, that people actually demand really good experiences. So, you know, the world has really changed, and the opportunity space for designers to actually take the lead at the executive level is there. And you see companies like Airbnb, you see YouTube was was created by design, design founders, um, Linda Weinman just sold her company, lynda.com, to LinkedIn. There's all of these opportunities now for designers who, um, who have had these superpowers for years and underutilized them to step up and lead organizations. And so the aspiration is the rise of the DEO, meaning that there's a DEO in all of us. Got it. Well, you know, one of the things that you, you mentioned a little earlier was chaos and and ambiguity, and that makes me really think of um, not necessarily what you're doing right now, but I mean, you spent most of your career uh, leading and I'm sure managing your own studio, Hot Studio, and uh, then you went to Facebook in a very senior role, and now you are the very first uh, VP 
of um, experience design at Autodesk. So you are in a large enterprise, and to me, enterprise is code for uh, big chaos. And um, what's it like for you to take on this new role in a, in a different type of organization, and, and how has that changed your perspective on leadership? Yeah. Well, actually, the big jump for me was you know, creating a design studio over, you know, 15, 20 year period, and then suddenly moving to Facebook and being inside a company. Now, you know, working at in an agency, I've had exposure to so many different companies. And with that, you each company comes with its own level of dysfunction. And, you know, when designers get in there, I often say that we're hired, we're hired to solve the problem, but as we go through the design process and we start understanding the internal dysfunction of companies, we understand the real problem. And so, you know, I've always known that every com companies have a certain level of dysfunction, much like families. You know, you can't, you know, I grew up in an Italian family, so you could just imagine the dysfunction in that family. Um, and then going to Facebook, which was in being inside a company uh, for the first time. And that was a huge, uh, it was a huge wake-up call for me. And, and um, you know, it was, it was hard because, you know, I went from, you know, being a leader outside of a box to being inside a box and, 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 and trying to understand, um, understand, you know, sort of the, the politics that happen inside those companies. So that was a hard transition for me. And now being at, at, at Autodesk, where I'm actually the design leader in a large company, I feel like I'm now really set up to understand what it means to work inside the enterprise. So what's different? What is the, I mean, obviously it's the cultural issues that, uh, um, uh, you know, that that's what we usually the term we use for that dysfunction. But yeah, I mean, it, there's issues that seem to have uh, only a remote connection to design. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that as you as companies scale, you know, as companies scale, their organization changes and morphs, and you kind of trade one problem for the other. And you know, I saw this in a very small scale at Hot when you know when I sold Hot, we were over a hundred people. So growing it from two to a hundred, I got to see how scale changes sort of the social dynamics of companies. Now we're talking about companies that are thousands of people. Uh, Autodesk has a, uh, about 9,000 employees. I think Facebook now has 12,000 employees. So how companies become more, they can tend to get very siloed. They can, um, uh, they could, you know, you have to make sure that everybody has a shared purpose and a common vision, and that common purpose is is communicated um, strategically and consistently. You have to make sure that the culture is set up to stay creative. Um, the role of the manager becomes incredibly important. <laughs> I, you know, I think middle managers are so critical to the company's success, and that's why I keep focusing on you know, these middle managers who really need to be lifting people up and making them better versions of themselves. So all of these, the different hierarchy requires a different type of leadership model. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, learning. And now I'm at Autodesk where the culture is very different than Facebook. 
Um, the problem set is very different. But the company is ripe for transformation right now. The company was rooted in technology, it was founded in the 70s, it was an engineering-led company, and we're moving the company from being uh, engineering-led, product-centric, to being more experienced, service-oriented. And right. so the environment is perfect for a design leader to come in there to help move the company to start thinking more about end-to-end -end experiences and how to, in, how to create products that are more contextual, are more human, um, are, are, are sort of moving to this paradigm where everything is a platform and no longer sing, a singular product. So the timing here at Autodesk is perfect for somebody like the, the kind of troublemaker that I am. And I think a lot of that trouble, as you describe it, 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 it sounds like to maybe pigeonhole it a bit, a lot of it's going to really center around service design. That you're going to be looking at bigger sort of issues of fit uh, rather than necessarily the specifics of product functionality or, or product experience. Yeah, I think that all, uh, you know, if you look at every, pretty much as we, you know, we, we we're moving from heavy duty, all products are becoming services to some right. context. I, I think that there aren't many products out there that don't have a component of a service element right now. Used to be there's products and then there's customer service where you go to complain. But now it's really, you know, there's, it's a hardware software solution. It's, um, it's, you're engaging with people on a sort of a much more specific um, personal level. And there's a very high expectation from people now that um, products should be working better for them, for them as individuals. And so the, you know, this, this opportunity is ripe um, to help. And all, a lot of companies now are looking for that DEO character. I mean, it's, it, um, you, you know, a lot of uh, his traditional companies are now seeing that they have to get out of their sort of product silos and realize that they have to prepare for consumers of the future. And it sounds like a lot of that type of work at the enterprise level is, is really about seeing, you know, what your, you know, what your outcome is, is, is more platform for cultural change as much as arming people doing the actual, uh, you know, work in the trenches with pattern libraries and tools and so forth that can, can help them be better at what they are and better at what they do. Yeah, so, it, it definitely is moving more towards platform. Teams have to be working a lot more collaboratively across borders because the journey, the customer journey is continuous. Right. Uh, so, and if you don't work more collaboratively across an organization, um, you will show, the, the company will show its seams. So there's this, um, you know, and again, this is what we've been trained to do. Uh, as designers, is to work in systems, to look at complexity and make things simple, um, to be the relentless ally for on the on behalf of people. All of these things that we learned, either through the trades or in school, are now coming to bear in the business world. So we have these superpowers, and we need to we need to kind of take take control. <laughs>
Well, I, I love that, Maria, and, and I really especially love the, the metaphor of uh, the, that the organization's seams are showing. And uh, that's a really kind of concrete way to explain it. And, uh, you know, no one likes that idea of seams. And, uh, you know, that's what we're in many cases doing is we're, uh, if not, you know, connecting things that shouldn't have seams, we're at least hiding them with a, a good cover of uh, a good layer of spackle. Um, Maria is going to be, uh, I'll put a plug in here, Maria is going to be uh, one of our speakers at the Enterprise UX 2016 conference, and, uh, which is going to be back in San Antonio at the Rackspace headquarters once again, uh, June 8th through 10th, 2016. And uh, I think we just got a, like a little taste of what you might talk about. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your participation there. I really want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here, and I look forward to more productive and fun conversations in the future. We didn't curse at all. We didn't curse during this thing. Ah, shit. <laughs> Maria GDC, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Great talking with you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.